Good morning, Remnant family. Thank you for tuning in. We're so excited about what God is doing. I hope you enjoyed worship. I encourage you to pull out your Bibles right now as we get ready to unpack God's Word. I really believe God is going to speak to us in these next couple weeks. Uh, I don't know if you've realized, but we're coming up on Easter, and it's kind of hard to think about that with everything else going on. But I believe the best thing for us to do right now in such an uncertain time and an uncertain place in our culture and society Let's focus on something certain. As Colossians says, set our mind on things above, and that's what we're going to do right now. Um, I'm really excited about what God has shown me in His Word, and I can't wait to share that with you. Uh, you've probably found a lot of different ways to take up the time here in these last few days. I know for our family, one of the biggest things that we've been doing is putting together puzzles. I really enjoy puzzles. I enjoy that our family gets together to put these puzzles. And before you know it, we've been there for a few hours just talking and laughing, you know, doing all these things. And it, it's, it's really enjoyable. I mean, even when Judah's spitting green beans all over it or Grayson's trying to put a piece in his mouth, you know, we still have a lot of fun and we just, it, it's such a good family time to get together and to bond. But what I want to start you guys on is, is just this journey. You know, when you're putting a puzzle together, you always go in a certain fashion. You start with the edges and you begin to work your way in until you get that final piece that you put in and it completes the whole thing. And what I want us to do together as a family in these next few weeks is to begin to put a puzzle together, a puzzle of hope. You see, there's, there's stages to this, just like with a puzzle. And, and the stage we're going to talk about today is hope captured. It's a little bit different, but I want you to follow along with us and join in. And let's see what God wants to show us in His Word. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 10. We're going to be reading starting in verse 5 and going through verse 9. So if you'll join me there, we'll begin reading. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved." And so what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks is this passage of Scripture. I'm sure the last two verses you've heard many, many times. But see, those last two verses are just a part of the thought. What goes before really brings it all home. And that's really, really where we want to hone in on. If you see at the end of, of verse 6, uh, he mentions this phrase, Who will ascend into heaven? And so let's get some context here of what's happening. You see, Paul was writing to the Roman Christians, um, and they were made up of, of those that used to be of the Jewish faith and of Gentiles. And the book of Romans is such a rich theological book with so many huge truths in it. But what we're talking about here is vitally, vitally important. See, he begins to talk about the salvation um, that Jesus came to share with the world. And see, this is where we've got to be careful because we have uh, inadvertently warped what that really means. You see, if you think about this, God had been trying to explain to the Israelites for thousands of years that salvation was not so much about the outward appearance, but about the inward heart. And see, when you think about this in terms of a puzzle, sometimes it's 
really, really easy to get the outside edges, is it not? The pieces are smooth. They all go in one line. You know where the corners are. It's really simple. When you start to get into the meat of that puzzle, it begins to be hard because all the patterns and the textures and everything doesn't look the same. And so sometimes it's a whole lot easier just to work on the outside edges and not to work on the inside. And what I feel like we do sometimes is we do that with our salvation. It's much easier to focus on the outward. It's much easier to focus on the things that are quite simple to put together and instead of the things that aren't. And so if you look in Scripture, like, where did Jesus really, really talk about this? If you go to Matthew chapter 5, he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Um, such a beautiful sermon with such a lot of truth in it. And he begins to talk with the people. You've not just got people following him there wanting to hear what he has to say. You've also got Pharisees there. You've got people that are looking to catch a word that he might say that's out of line or something else so they can tear him down, claim him as a false Christ, whatever it might be. And he begins to talk about some, some perceptions that they had. He begins to talk about murder and adultery and oath-taking and divorce. And, and he calls them out and says, you've heard it said, do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. Do this, do this, do this. He was calling them out on this legalistic view of do's and don'ts. A, a, a part of Christianity that unfortunately we begin to make the whole, that it's all about rules and it's all about what you do and what you don't do. That's what was happening here. And Jesus was showing them these things. But see, it's not enough to just not murder. And that's what Jesus was trying to get out of them, is that it's not enough just to go by the rules. He said, you've heard it said, do not murder. But if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But if you're lusting, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He was trying to show them that it wasn't just about the outward. It was about everything that was inside as well. Something that they didn't like because... We can control the outward stuff a whole lot better than we can control really anything else. So what happens when we begin to control the outward? What does that look like? Well, if you continue on in that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to point out the Pharisees who uh, pray out in public on the street corners in loud, uh, long phrases and big words and giving, you know, publicly where everyone knows how much they've given and making a big show about things. And, and Jesus was trying to say, hey, doing all that just so people see you, that isn't good. That's not a good thing to do. And see, what happens in all of this is we begin to uh, look at a hope that's captured, and it's captured meaning that it's bound by legalism. Legalism is the idea that good works will get you into heaven. And what Paul was trying to say here to the Romans is when you go down this road, you do something that you don't even realize you're doing. And if you look in verse 6, in the parentheses, it says, that is to bring Christ down. You know, I love reading uh, the New Testament letters that Paul wrote because... Uh, many times there's so much depth and so much truth in them. And when we see parentheses like this, we tend to just skip over them because, eh, I'm not entirely sure what he's really talking about that. And I've got to read this quick because, right, I need to do my reading for the day. And once that's done, I can move on because that's another check off the list. But what's found here in the parentheses is so important because 
when you begin to practice legalism and to claim and to model a salvation that's based on good works, what you're saying is you can make your way to heaven solely on your own. And here's two things that happen when you do that. The first thing is you diminish Christ. And when you look at that, that is to bring Christ down. What he's not saying is that you, you bring him down just, just in his happiness or in his joy or anything like that. But you begin to say, hey, my good works can reach the platform that Jesus already reached. And so by doing so, you diminish that perfect sacrifice that sinless life of Christ, to basically say that him even coming at all or dying is really worthless because I could have got there on my own anyways. And you might say, well, Josh, I, I, I'm not trying to do that. Well, of, of course not. No one that's a Christian wants to put forth that idea. But when people look at your life to see how you lived out the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've lived it based on good works, that's what they see. And then we have the second thought is, is we also live in chains. You know, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5 that we don't have to wear those chains anymore. In fact, that we have freedom in Christ. And because Jesus fulfilled the law, right? He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. He completed it. He made it perfect. He was the one who could answer all the calls to action, everything that it required. Because he did that, that that's all completed, that now we can live in this freedom of Christ. But when we say our good works is what gets us to heaven, our good works is what makes us a Christian, our good works is what's most important, when we begin to say those things and to live a life in that way, what we begin to do is to put back on those chains of bondage. You see, Jesus came to die on the cross for us, not just to complete, to complete the law, to fulfill it, to make us a way to have eternal life. But it was to also release those chains of bondage that the law inevitably put on us. Not because God intended it for that way, but because of the way we saw the law as it was written. And what happened is, is, is we just began to put these chains on us because you and I know this very well. No matter how many good works we do, nothing will ever be enough. No good you could ever live in your life will ever be enough. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you've lived your life of uh, philanthropy completely. You've given away everything. You've lived as John the Baptist did with nothing. And you reach heaven. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Your good works cannot get you there. And see, here's, here's the problem. As we wear those chains, we begin to despise the people around us that don't, despise the people that do have that freedom that we so desperately seek. And so inevitably, we start to try and throw those chains on them. Well, how do you do that? By telling them what they have to wear. By telling them what they have to say. By telling them how they have to act. By telling them what they need to think. By controlling them and telling them that they don't do anything right. We, we begin to project this shame that we feel onto others. And it's so unfair. But living a life of salvation through good works causes that. And so the question we have to ask is, how do we live by faith instead of works? How do we not live this, uh, this life as a Christian and fall into the rut of legalism? Well, here's some things we have to do. First, we have to elevate Christ to everyone else through humility. If you read in Philippians chapter 2, it talks about Jesus who 
didn't even consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, emptied himself, came in the likeness of men, and humbled himself even to death on the cross. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but the idea of practicing humility prevents legalism. It prevents us falling into this rut of believing in a salvation by good works. We have to be humble. We have to elevate others higher above ourselves, esteem others way above ourselves, encourage and uplift in everything. Always never be quick to say, I'm right and you're wrong, but to always listen to each other and then to share truth when they, they're ready for it. And to do that with meekness and fear, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15, and how might you do that now? How might you do that in your life right now, wherever you might be? That could look uh, in a bunch of different ways. I know a lot of you are stuck at home right now, so how do you practice that humility? Hey, mom and dad, that might be apologizing at each other because you yelled at each other, or husband and wife, or whoever it might be. You're living in close quarters, you're not always happy. Trust me, my wife will tell you that. Sometimes I, I can be a bear. And I have to apologize for that. And being quick to apologize before making her feel like she has to when she didn't do anything wrong. It might be finally having some real conversations with your kids about um, the things of the Bible and the things of this world. And listening to them, not giving in to what they tell you, but listening to them and then talking with each other and having a conversation about what Jesus says about these things. Uh, you know what, if you're a kid, it might be cleaning up and doing those chores that your parents have been yelling at you for the past couple of days to do because you've just been sitting there playing Fortnite or whatever on your phone. Like, maybe it's time to get up and pitch in and help around the house and, and do what it takes to live together in close-knit quarters like this. Maybe it's knowing that your neighbor across the street is in desperate need of something and you've got more than enough of it. You've not got to go in their house, but walking and sitting on the porch and just letting them know you wanted to be a blessing to them. Whatever it might be, practice humility wherever you are. If it's uplifting and encouraging someone else, you can know you're practicing humility. The other thing you can do is to let go of those chains that you've been carrying. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, if there's anything that I struggle with when it comes to biblical doctrine, it's this, because... I know that we have freedom in Christ, but it is so hard for me sometimes to not carry the shame and guilt of not being perfect all the time. That is a difficult thing to do. The only thing I know to do is each morning wake up and ask God to take these burdens off of me. As, as it says, to, to cast our cares at His feet. And, and because he, he wants those things. He died for those things. And so we've got to daily let go of those chains that we desperately seem so comfortable wearing and allow Him to carry us through. And so in all of this, the biggest question is, yeah, how are you living your life? Let me just go ahead and tell you, if you accepted Christ under the assumption that you could be good enough to get there, that you didn't need Him, that your good works are enough, let me just tell you, you're not a Christian. That's not true. Salvation by works will never get you to heaven. It's only by Christ's righteousness through faith that will get you to heaven. Maybe you're, you are a Christian, but you've just fallen into this rut of, of legalism, of thinking about doing good things more than why you're doing them or why they're important. I encourage you to let those things go. Let down all those, all those guards that you do, the do's and the don'ts that make everyone else around you seem like, hey, outwardly, 
they are definitely a Christian when you know inwardly you're desperately crying out for help. Open up. Share your struggles with your family. Let them know what's happening so that they can pray with you, that they can help you, and that they can work to, to maybe be accountable and, and show you when you are doing those types of things. We're going to go on this journey together, and we're going to continue to put this puzzle together. But for today's pieces, it's all about that outward edge, that outward appearance. Salvation is not about what you do. It's about what you believe in your heart. And it's about that coming back out. As John 7:37 says, If any are thirsty, come, and out of his heart will spring rivers of living water. And that's really what we want, to see that living water, that living word, Jesus Christ, coming out of our hearts, out to this outward appearance, out to what everyone sees, and so that they too can find their salvation in Jesus Christ. We are not the standard, and we should never try to be. Our holiness is no match for the perfect, sinless life that Jesus lived. And so what we need to do is to continually point people to Jesus. Now, wherever you may be today in the living room or the kitchen, wherever you might be watching, you might be saying, Josh, I need to know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I need to be saved. He lived the perfect life for you. You don't have to live it yourself. As you look down in, in Romans 10, 9, and we'll talk about this in the weeks ahead, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so it's quite simple. Confess Jesus is Lord. Admit that you're a sinner. Tell Him that you believe that He has risen from the dead, that He's alive. And then share that with your family, with your friends. Call somebody. Let them know. We, we want to help you on this journey of faith. Maybe you can text this number, 423-732-9682, and let us know you have made a decision to follow Christ. We would love to talk with you about that and what that means. And if you're a Christian, I'm going to pray in just a second for you as well, that you'll, you'll learn to let these chains go and to let these things fall off and that you'll live a life freely in Christ and live a salvation based on faith and not on works. And so with that being said, I encourage you all to bow your heads. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for what you've shown us in your word. God, as, as we focus on this thought of hope captured, God, I pray for those that, are, that feel like they're captured right now, that feels like their hope has been boxed in, God, to good works. Lord, I pray that you would show them, Lord, that that is not what you intended. God, that that is not what you meant when you gave Moses the law uh, on Mount Sinai. God, I pray that you would um, help those who, who are Christians, God, but have fallen into this rut of good works and just trying to do good things, God, that you would, one, forgive them of that, God, and begin to show them in their own hearts, Lord, that it's not about what we do, God, but about what uh, you have done for us. And, Lord, I just pray you would uh, watch over them and show them those truths in these, in these next few days. God, for those that have made a decision to follow you, or, Lord, need, need to just talk with someone about what that looks like, God, I pray you would give them the courage to reach out, that they would find someone and talk to somebody, God, who would help them on their journey of faith and show them what it means to become a Christian and to follow you with their heart, with their mind, with their soul, with their strength, with everything that they have. Lord, I pray you watch over everyone, God. Keep them all safe. And Lord, um, help our world through this. Lord, and help us to just look to you in, in this uncertain time, God, and find the certainty of what it means to be a, a son or a daughter of you. 
Jesus' name I pray. Amen.